Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. Today with me, I have Nicole Morris, LMFT, and she's worked in the mental health field for over 23 years. As a former program manager and birth to five specialists, she managed a, fir- a first five LA grant in addition to being clinical supervisor in the greater LA area before relocating to the Midwest with her family. Nicole catapulted into the OCD therapy world after experiencing a great need in her new service area. And Nicole was sponsored at the Generosity of OCD Midwest, an international OCD affiliate, to further her learning through the Behavioral Therapy Training Institute. Nicole currently treats OCD in pediatric and adult cases at Hand in Hand Comprehensive Therapy Specialist Incorporated. And she enjoys training and consultation services to further promote learning and expanding best practices in her field and community. Additionally, Nicole is the host and mental health correspondent of the OCD Family podcast, which she created and launched last year as a resource to support loved ones and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community at OCDFamilyPodcast.com or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. Thanks, Nicole. So I um, reached out to you and we talked a little bit about uh, coming on together and talking about you know, especially for folks who um, have OCD themselves and, you know, running a podcast, running a practice, having a family, having, you know, I think part of what I would love to hear from you today is just talking a little bit about what it is like being a mom with with OCD um, and being there for your kids and your family. Like, what are some things that come up for you? What are some things that go well? Just what is that experience? Because I know for my audience, there's definitely plenty of parents and mothers alike um, who have OCD. So I figured let's let's talk about that experience. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. And thanks again for having me on. I'm I'm really excited uh, to share more. This is my first video podcast, so and I I'm I'm here for it. So uh being a mom with OCD, well I would say it's normal for me. <laughs> All of it is normal for me because I've never known it another way. However, I also didn't know I was dealing with OCD until really the last year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. I've always been an anxious person. Uh, I've always had really good skills to manage my anxiety, uh, even before I was a therapist. And I have been in my own therapy. I've dealt with it to the extent that I can. And I felt pretty good about that. In fact, I started treating OCD and I still didn't recognize the OCD within myself. Mm. And I think because a lot of my compulsions were more of these mental compulsions that were so ingrained with just how I process the world that I didn't recognize it as compulsory. I didn't see it functioning that way because that's literally all the ways the way that I had delineated information. Uh, so really coming to the awareness, and I think it was really sitting in the BTTI, which is the Behavioral Therapy Training Institute. We were talking about something. It was not even some, it was related enough. And I went, shit, or I don't even know if I could say that. Can I That's that? okay. Yeah. Crap. 
Hoop. Sometimes I get a little edgy. It's the OCD therapy. Do it. <laughs> I'm just like, my filter goes. So I'm like, I'm just rolling with it. Uh, but I was like, this, I, I'm dealing with OCD. I am, I am totally functioning out of a place of trying to minimize, neutralize, or avoid distress. And I haven't recognized it because it was so ingrained. So for example, I've always had car anxiety. I've always felt distressed. I grew up in the Midwest. My dad would would drive on these long car trips where there were like two lane highways and you know people would pass and you would have to wait till you should wait till there's it's the law to wait till there's a solid <laughs> yellow line not everybody follows that um and so i would get real anxious about what if we got in a car accident also when i was little there was uh, we had a station wagon and that's really dated i don't even know if they make station wagons anymore but in it, back in the day the cool seat to sit in in the station wagon was actually probably where they're supposed to be keeping a spare tire but there was this dip down in the back and the kids would sit in it and we'd ride backwards it was like our own little ride uh and I would watch the cars coming, breaking towards us. And I would just see them like, oh my gosh, what if they don't stop and they hit and I'm not buckled in because there's not a buckle in the tire compartment. I'm making a sound real fancy and we were, uh, but I, I always had this car anxiety. And so that really shifted and shaped over the years. But I was like, you know what? I exposed myself to it. I lived in L.A. for many, many years. Traffic there is horrendous. I drove a lot for work all around. And I dealt with it. I exposed myself to it. I never felt awesome about it. But I was like, you know what? I've dealt with this to the extent that I can. But I came back from the BTTI, and I remember I parked at this little small airport we have in in town and I was driving back it was cold it was raining could be freezing rain could be dangerous might not I had all these things that I have to do when I drive at night should wear my reading glasses my eyesight's pretty good I have reading glasses but somehow those reading glasses are like lifesavers in the dark they would see through any blurriness that might potentially take me off the road or whatever and so I was like okay I'm not gonna wear my reading glasses. I'm going to drive. And what do I think is going to happen? I don't think I'm worried about dying. I just don't want to get in an accident. But that was probably if I if I went, if I just kept going, but why, but why, but why, I'd probably get there. So let's just chant that I'm going to die on the way home without wearing my glasses in potentially freezing rain in the dark and drive. And I did. And as I was getting on the highway, I just felt that sensation of anxiety that I had just been so normative for me anytime really in the car drain out of my body. And I thought, how interesting that I'm sitting here saying how I'm going to die probably. And, you know, that's too bad because I was just about to see the kids and I was really looking forward to them. I'm not going to see them get married now at the same point. You know, so-and-so keeps on having potty accidents, and I don't have to clean those up anymore, so I suppose it's not all bad. You know, and having this, this conversation about my children who I would never in the world want anything bad to happen to, and just being able to kind of play with my OCD on that. And I thought, this, this is what's happening for me. And so that really lit a fire for me to say, 
I want to deal with this in every area. If the car anxiety that I've had since I can remember could drain out of my body, which is which speaks louder than words. It's one thing to have relief from thought, but when you have what you've had for so long not be there and you feel like a thousand ton weight has been lifted off of mm-hmm. you, it's it's indescribable. And yeah. so from then on, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm gonna do it for myself. I'm gonna do it for my clients. I'm gonna do it. Uh, and it's been an exciting road. So how has it been as a mother? I mean, I think prior to understanding some of my uh, OCD versus just normative anxiety, my Nicole anxiety, uh, it's been enlightening and it's been freeing overall. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't get stuck on it. And it doesn't mean just because I'm an OCD therapist, I don't still just have my moments where I get woo swept away. But at this point, I can truly say I'm more at a subclinical level, which mm-hmm. honestly, I didn't even know I was at a clinical level. I had learned to function at a clinical level, but now I can really live and it's pretty exciting. And do you feel that with that shift, it's made you be like more present with your kids or with your family? Like how has, how would you say would be some, some, just, I mean, a couple examples of what are some differences that you're noticing in terms of how you're showing up now versus how you were showing up before? Yeah, I think there's a lot more space for me to engage than to get caught up in the what ifs and how things kind of need to happen or dot, dot, dot might happen. Um, And so really when I would get together or I do certain things with my family, I think I was always processing at this cognitive level, kind of the strategies that I need to do. And it was so second nature to me that I didn't even know I was doing it, but I wasn't really engaging with them I was engaging around them with the potentials of what I wanted the, our life to be able to be instead of just living that life. And so I do think that I've been a lot more present. Um, and another thing that I think helped with that, and this was prior to understanding the OCD, but now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that was my OCD ramping up big time. But I went on medication and mm-hmm. medication also allowed space (laughs) for me to just not get so wrapped up in the intensity of everything I was feeling. Um, And my family certainly noticed the difference in that. My little, my husband and my kids noticed the impact that I was more laid back, but certainly like my family from growing up who lives locally where we do, uh, we're like, wow, you are chiller like I don't know what it is but you're chiller and I was like uh yeah I would agree it feels good I'm on an SSRI that helps uh but certainly like just the way I would engage uh in conversation in how a birthday would go you know I have this I have this memory of my when my son turned I think it was eight he loved Minecraft at the time And I was dealing with a lot of migraines at the time and I was tired and dealing with health stuff, which was somewhat there and was also amplified by the OCD stuff. And I made a cake 
where I like picks, I made like so many layers of the cake and like cut different uh, like squares and stuff that it would look pixelated when you cut into it. This was the level of my OCD. I have some perfectionism that I deal with. I, I have lots of different themes that uh, interplay, but I spent for being exhausted as I was like probably nine hours constructing this cake. To the point mm. that I didn't shower before his birthday party because I ran out of time. I looked okay enough, but I was like, I just, I didn't take care of myself. Mm. And by the time it got there, and my son loved the cake, everybody was like, you made this? Wow. You know, like, okay. Which wasn't even my goal. My goal was like, he likes Minecraft and Minecraft's pixelated. And I've got to do it right because he's going to remember this birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for whatever reasons, it was real important. The stakes felt real high. And at the end of the night, when we sat down, he's as his birth part of his birthday present that year, you get to stay up a half hour late, which is probably the high point of the birthday for him. But we sat down, he had gotten a Harry Potter book where my husband, he and I are reading it. My other kids are down. It was the first time that I felt like I'd sat down and relaxed the whole day. And I was like, all of this work. All of this, like, rush, all this need, and I have been miserable the whole day. Mm. This is the first time I've been able to even breathe, really. Mm. And I was like, why? Why do I do that? It wasn't from a, I needed, it wasn't from, like, an OCPD perspective of, like, I need it to be this way, and I have the preference of it needs to be, like, the the best thing and and I'm going to keep working on it towards until I can get it. It was more of a thing of like, no, I have to do it because I want him to have a good birthday. And if I don't, it won't be right. And so I, I just sat back and I was like, had I made a cake, had I bought a cake, had, had there been some kind of cake, whether it looked like mush or not, he would have been like, this is the best birthday. He would have <laughs> loved it. He didn't need it to be at that level. And it was an awareness of like, I get caught up in this and I don't know why. But, and so I had some awareness and yet I couldn't stop myself from doing it, which is very common within OCD. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we're not aware, but sometimes we're aware of like, I'm doing this and I don't feel like it's helping me, but I can't stop. Right. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, and so it was a big eye opening moment. Like his birthday this year, you better believe that was a simple ass cake. <laughs> and I was so happy. I was like, this is the best. Instead of like, I want this to be his best birthday. And he still had a great birthday. I was like, this is the best birthday I've had for him ever. <laughs> like, this is the best because I'm not so like ooh, absorbed. Yeah. in all the what if I don't do it this way and what if it's you know name a thing instead it was and it's not that I can't be creative and decide to do a pixelated cake but I I didn't have to it didn't mean I loved him more or loved him less or that he would look back at this and feel like I dropped the ball or I didn't care he's He's just loving cake and he's loving his birthday and he's loving being with people. And I got to do that again. I really for one of the first times this year with him. And so I thought, yeah, that's a big difference. So that's a good illustration. I think of just how, how 
different. My kids wouldn't be able to say tangibly, but they know. I know they can feel it. My husband would, though. He'd be like, "Yeah, you, you were a lot." <laughs> <laughs> he, to be fair, was a lot too, because he also, if you ask me, is dealing with OCD, uh, and he's kind of he's warming up to that idea, but he treats it as if it's OCD, which is what matters most. And so we both can get caught up in that, but it's been very freeing for both of us, I think, to go, oh, I got, I got caught up in an intrusive thought, or I got caught up in a vulnerable self thing, you know, and, and it's been, it's been life-giving. So that's been one, you know, a few of the differences really. Yeah. And I mean, I think as I'm sharing it too, I can re- I, I'm confident 100% that any parent listening, right? I mean, you can have whatever different flavor of intrusions and then, but the moment you become a parent, there's this additional layer because they're your babies and everything about wanting to make sure that, you know, they're safe, they're okay, that you're being a good parent, you're attending to their needs, teaching them. I mean, there's so many things that suddenly become important um, above all else. And so it's this, this kind of reorientation in your identity and who you are and then, here comes OCD, right? And like you just said, where it's taking a lot of time in this one area where at the end of the day, is that really matter versus I'm not so tired so I can actually hang out and enjoy um, yeah. and build those yeah. memories and that quality time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been really, really nice. You know, another area that I've really seen it come up for me, uh, when I started OCD in practice, it was because... I live in an area of the Midwest now where there just aren't practitioners nearby. The closest, if you go on like a provider finder for IOCDF, for example, the nearest provider is a hundred miles away. Mm. And at the time telehealth was available. And so when I had gotten a client that was so obviously OCD to me, uh, and I will say I treated lots of, I've treated lots of OCD clients over my career, but I treated them as generalized anxiety because I didn't see it as OCD at the time. But I got such a, a, pre- a presentation of OCD that even I didn't miss it. And I mm. was like, oh, I think this is OCD. I tried to refer them out to somebody because even in my brief little researching of I'm like, well, I don't know what you do with OCD. I realized, you know, I don't know how to do at the time ERP was what I saw. Now I'm understanding we have ERP. We also have ICBT as treatment modalities that can help. Uh, but at the time I was like, yeah, I don't know that. And I'm, I am fully comfortable saying, I don't know what I don't know. And so the client basically came back and said, I don't care if you don't know, because you're our only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi, mm. essentially, you know, like, I, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, it could be a dumpster fire. It's going to have to be better than where we're at right now. And so I said, okay, in, in the event that we're going to learn together, it sounds like, you know, we can try this. But if I really feel like, you know what, I can't do this justice, like we need to be open to referring out. Okay, okay. But as I started getting into it, and I started understanding ERP a little better, it was pretty intimidating. And in certain ways, ERP makes a lot of sense and it's kind of straightforward, but in other ways, if you're the practitioner trying to facilitate that process, 
it's it's a pretty big undertaking and am I doing this right and did I remember the response prevention I think that's probably a newbie mistake is really like okay we got exposures down uh, but really facilitating that response prevention and so something for me in the beginning was I felt almost a panic about needing to understand ERP to make sure I was doing it right. And this was interesting for me because I had the awareness, at least at the time, like, girl, you have been in this field a minute, a couple decades. Uh, you can do treatment. You understand treatment. This isn't your first client, your first rodeo. And even if it were, I mean, you did that. You did, it was fine, right? But I felt so much angst and responsibility over this is the way you treat OCD. And if you don't treat it this way, it could get worse. And I know that I treated people in the past that had OCD now in hindsight, mm -hmm. and I might have made it worse. So I felt this hyper responsibility to get it right. And as I engaged in the treatment, I would go to every training that would come up possible. I was reading books that made sense and books that didn't make sense. And then I was rereading, not from an, in an OCD compulsory way, but in literally like my brain is so full, the sponge can hold no more water. And so I'd be like, Ugh. but I felt this responsibility to really learn as much as I could. And so when I got to and was in the BTTI and had my little aha moment of, oh, girl, you're dealing with OCD too, I realized I was getting OCD about how I was treating OCD. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden, I had to know everything or I was going to fail them. I was going to reinforce the OCD somehow. I was going to mm -hmm. make it worse. And you know what? It's very possible and probable that I messed up along the way because I'm a human being and I was learning something new. But at the same time, I probably did a pretty good job and had really gotten in my head about, you know, if, you know, in the same way that family can accommodate and reinforce uh, OCD thought loops, you know, even if the person's not engaging in the compulsion and now I'm the therapist and I'm doing that for everybody. Uh, you know, I was getting so caught up and zoomed into these little minutia details that I was doing a whole Minecraft cake on OCD therapy, right? Like I was cutting up the squares and pixels and this and ah. And I realized during that BTTI, which is very informative BTTI, <laughs> not necessarily, and I already knew it, I was doing it with clients, but I didn't see it in myself. And I went, I'm getting OCD about this. Like, I'm literally, the intrusive thought is that I'm going to fail them. I'm not going to do it right. I'm going to make their OCD worse. And we run that risk as therapists in any, you know, situation to say, I might help this person or I might not be the person that can help them. And so that might help them or that might not. But I felt like, man, this is dire and there's nobody, there's nobody near me. So I've got to get this right. Like people are going to come to me. Some people drive hours to come to me. Some people, even though I'm like, let's do the telehealth, I eventually can get them usually in telehealth by the end. But I was like, I need to not be this imposter, right? Mm -hmm. Which I wasn't. I wasn't mm -hmm. an imposter. I was learning still, but I was not an imposter. And so I've even noticed in my own treatment at this point, as I've been learning ICBT, for example, which is a newer modality to me, 
I don't have this pressure of I need to know it perfectly. I feel like it's good enough that I that if it's appropriate to introduce it to a client, I'm going to introduce it to the client knowing I don't know a lot about it yet. I would have not done that with ERP because mm-hmm. I would have felt like I am going to screw this up. And sometimes I explain ICBT and it just sounds like it's it's more philosophical in nature and it's not as concise and I'm always usually pretty good at how I'm asserting myself and how it's packaged and all that (laughs) and make it like digestible but relatable and I was like you know what I'm okay with not even in an exposure way like and I'm just okay with not knowing what I don't know as I've been most of my life and saying I don't know this but I'm not getting caught in this thought loop around just because I don't know it perfectly, it doesn't mean it's worth hiding it from people or not sharing it. Like I can talk about things and I can learn and I can get it wrong and other people can get it wrong and okay. And we can try and recorrect and get on the right path again. And it's been really freeing there too, because also with ERP, then I don't have those, <laughs> the same concerns. Like, am I doing ERP perfectly? And I find that coming up a lot with clients and families. They'll be like, but what if I did this? I might've reinforced it all our work. And I'm like, give yourself some grace. And then I'm like, oh, but I, I did it. And now, <laughs> you know, give yourself some grace, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I think just even, through my embracing and understanding of my own OCD, that has been one of the biggest takeaways. I I have had the freedom that I felt that was undeniable, but I also feel like I can really give myself grace. And as a recovering perfectionist, I love the idea of grace, but I couldn't. It had to be done right every time or right. something was going to happen, right? Like something, it was right. it was not going to lead good places. So I, I have found a lot of freedom in freedom and grace. I think that's beautifully said. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's wonderful just to hear also just the journey and the process, not just within your own family and being a parent and relationship, but also as a clinician and that whole journey of even figuring out, oh my gosh, I'm actually dealing with this. And how it's manifesting for you, right? Because I think probably we can all agree that still to this day, even though it's 2023 now, you know, when we talk about OCD, you don't really often hear all the different ways that it can manifest. We still keep hearing about, oh, lining things up, keeping things clean. Um, But like perfectionism is one, for example, that does have its own unique way how it can present. And um, you touched on several things like the need to kind of do things perfectly or I need to understand or wait, I don't think I have enough. And then realizing, wait a minute, I I do have enough. I like, I'm fine. I got this, but you know, we get so wrapped up in this thing and, and it's, it's a pressured experience. Like there's a, there's this need, this urgency, Um, you know, in all of that journey and process, you know, how would you say um, does your partner support you? Yeah. So, you know, we have a little joke, which tells you how fun we are as a couple, but uh, we have a little joke where if one or the other says something that seems like it's, you know, an intrusive thought or leaving, you know, going into some inferential doubt or whatnot, we would uh, just kind of look at each other and go, intrusive thoughts, (laughs) like you're you're in that place. Yeah, you are kind of thing. (laughs) Um, And it's enough to kind of snap us out of it in the moment and go, 
was that an inch? Is that that? You know, and be able to kind of slow or roll a little bit. Just because somebody says something, this goes for therapists, let alone, you know, spouses, family members or whatnot. Just because uh, someone says you're getting in your OCD about this, like you're having, you're in that space, which is really frustrating. We hear clients say it all the time too. Like I'm trying to share something and you're cutting me off and invalidating it and just saying it's my OCD instead of letting me say my thing. Not everything is OCD, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can get it wrong from time to time, but I think we've learned the nature of the intrusive thoughts enough that sometimes we'll share them in the same way you might wake up from a dream and tell a partner or a spouse, like, that was a crazy dream this happened. You know, we tend to run to each other and be like, I just had the, an intrusive thought I caught and we kind of eyeball it for each other, you know? Oh yeah. We don't, we usually just listen we don't necessarily reassure whatever, but we're like, okay, well, wait a spot, you know? (laughs) So that has been, that has been a nice improvement for us before we used to feed off of each other. Mm. We used to feed off of each other and uh, it would just, it would be really, really hard and it would cause a lot of distress in the relationship um, mainly because again, you know, similar as I was talking before, we weren't really engaging with each other. We were so wrapped up in the cognitive scaffolding we had built around all of what had snowballed and it had usually snowballed to a certain point. I'm pretty assertive and pretty much like I'm sensing something here. Let's discuss it. My husband is very much like, I don't want to have a confrontation and let's keep things Mm. really like lovely and lovely. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he would get to a point where that snowball would become an avalanche and there's no stopping the, ah, you know, and so that used to be the dynamic more with us, but we have really been intentional on not only looking inward and looking at our own processes and working on that, but also not playing into each other's distress, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or um, obsessional what if, you know. My husband could espouse something about he's worried about that could happen at work. And, uh, you know, he might listen to it and he'll be like, I want you to like reassure me that I'm not that maybe this is or isn't you know what's mm-hmm. happening and I don't provide it and he can get mad at me sometimes but then after the fact he can very quickly go yeah I wanted you to reassure I I mm-hmm. even said reassure me <laughs> I need this mm-hmm. uh, but we're able to have a different kind of conversation about it and usually pretty quickly it doesn't snowball and snowball and snowball into this avalanche um it just becomes, you know, a part of our regular communication, which has been also really lovely because we have been married now almost 11 years and uh, together even longer. And we would both say that our relationship is the best it's been yet. Mm, that's and, beautiful. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is because we have a lot more freedom to just be in the relationship doesn't mean it's always perfect. We might drive each other nuts sometimes. We might, uh, you know, bump heads or whatnot in terms of thinking of things in different ways. But we have the ability to connect in the present about it. And it just feels so freeing that it's 
you know, it's a completely different. It's a different relationship. Like the the person I married isn't the person that I'm married to today and, and vice versa for the better, for yeah. the better. Yeah. And we loved each other back then, but it is, it is so much more effortless now. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. That's wonderful. So with that, um, you know, if anybody listening right now, you know, you're with somebody who one of you or both of you might have some anxiety things going on. What would you give if you're going to give somebody like one little nugget, one piece of wisdom, what would you say that they could do or pay attention to? Yeah. I mean, if, if one of you has it and it's you, then, and you're aware of it, you can start that work on yourself and your spouse or partner will notice (laughs) and they'll be drawn in by that. They'll be like, something's happening and I like it. I don't know what it is, but it's good. Um, and you'll feel that too. If it's both of you, uh, generally I find going to your partner and saying, this is what's going on with you. doesn't, doesn't land well. Um, but if you notice it happening within yourself as well, starting to work on yourself again, even if they're dealing with their own stuff, they're going to notice the difference in you. And then it opens an opportunity for you to go, here's what I've been finding in my, and what I think has been making an impact that you, you are reasoning you can feel as well. Uh, and so just being able to kind of give some insight to your process of dealing with your OCD can be really helpful. Now, if you are the non OCD, uh, partner and you're, you, you suspect or know that your spouse is dealing with OCD, that can certainly be very hard, uh, because they may not want or be in a place where they can hear it from you. Uh, but there are strategies that you can engage in, whether it's reducing some of accommodation, if we're, especially if we're kind of conceptualizing this in terms of an ERP model, um, certainly doing your own therapy because you're dealing with the distress of that. Having a space where you can say, my spouse is dealing with, uh, and there's a number of things, you know, that people go into their own therapy when their spouse is struggling with, whether it's OCD or other mental illness, physical illness, um, whether it's substance abuse or whatnot, they may go in and go, okay, I need to learn how to not go on the roller coaster because I don't know. I didn't even know I'm on the roller coaster sometimes. Sometimes I definitely know I'm on it. Uh, But I need support because this isn't stability for me. And so being able to go in and get your own support, if you're feeling the distress from that, uh, is certainly worthwhile. Also, trying to talk with your partner or spouse, I'm always going to be a proponent of trying to communicate you know, there are certain ways we can address things that feel accusatory and can like shoot up defenses and start sure. an argument. And then there are other ways we can learn to discuss like, hey, I'm concerned about this and have a little bit more open stance in how we go into that conversation. Our spouse or our partner is more likely to hear us. And if we really just feel like that's not happening, then if you do have your own therapist, your own treatment provider, it's something where you could say, hey, maybe we could do couples therapy together. And you can say to your spouse, I'm struggling, which is true. You're struggling with the dynamics. And I think it would help me if we had somebody helping facilitate this because 
I, I sure it impacts you and I'm sure you impact me. (laughs) And so having somebody that can facilitate that process would be helpful. And then that can be also really helpful, just having an objective party referee, having conversations so that there's a better chance of both parties being and feeling heard. So I would go to treatment um, as a, you know, as a probably first recommendation Depending on your experience with therapy in the past, your finances, um, you know, culturally, there can be like, I know I grew up in the Midwest where it was like Bible Belt and people didn't really go to therapy because it's for crazy people. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, we're, uh, you know, we're all uh, I, by that definition, it's just absurd. Right. Like it's everybody can benefit in one way or another. But there was a real stigma around that. There was a real stigma around therapy. So, you know, I made my family proud and went and became a therapist. Uh, but at the same time, like you have to also consider like certain within our family culture, therapy was great for the people who needed it. Right. That was kind of the mindset. Like, we don't need it. We don't do those kind of things. If we have problems, we're going to deal with it in the family or we're going to deal with it Mm -hmm. in a church context. We're going to deal with it, um, you know, in these different ways. And then if we ever exerted a need or exhibited a need, then, you know, but what defined a need was like, whoa, way over the threshold of, of what it really needed to be. It was catastrophe at that point. And so sometimes it can be hard to get into treatment or get buy-in because there can feel like there's a stigma. So, you know, if you don't feel like treatment is an option right now, Things like this podcast where you can go, okay, I'm going to learn a little more. Maybe I'll get an idea of of what I can look into. IOCDF is a great resource. Lots of videos over there. NoCD does a lot of streaming options. YouTube has a lot of great options. TikTok, uh, the influencers over on TikTok, which I have a TikTok for OCD Family Podcasts. It's not easy. I have no idea. It probably shows. They're probably like, who's this older person that does not understand And I'm like, that's me. That's me. That's okay. But like, you know what? I can do things imperfectly. That's fine. Uh, And and so I think what's nice about it, even though you can get misinformation, certainly online, you can get misinformation from TikTok. I wouldn't, you know, treat it as the holy grail or anything. I think finding influencers where you go, wow, I can relate to what they just showed more than anything that I feel like I've been able to kind of conceptualize about what's going on with my OCD. Boy, that can feel really powerful to go like, I'm not alone. They did that. I did that yesterday. I did it multiple times yesterday. I get stuck on that sometimes. It can feel really powerful to connect and see other people and know that you're not alone. So I don't think it's a replace. It certainly isn't therapy, so it's not a replacement for therapy. But in this day and age, in the digital age, there are a lot more resources online. And so I think if you're starting somewhere, that is somewhere and you can't go to treatment or you feel like you can't, the stigma makes it feel like you can't go to treatment. Something tells me you could probably get on TikTok or you could probably get on YouTube and then educate yourself a little more. And if it continues to make sense, maybe you will feel empowered to go stigma or not. 
I'm worth it. And I'm going to, I'm going to give treatment a shot. Uh, so I, you know, that is also an option. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think really working on yourself cause you're worth it. Even if it's going on with somebody else, we can't control what's going on with somebody else. We can barely control what's going on <laughs> That's with right. ourselves. That's right. So, so yes. stay in our lane and deal with ourselves. We're always going to be doing better doing that. Totally. Thank you, Nicole, so much. Um, and so for anybody listening today, if they want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah. So if you want, if you uh, enjoy podcasts, I am over at OCD Family Podcast. You can check us out at OCD. I say us all the time because it's us family. We're one family. Uh, But you can check me out over at OCDFamilyPodcast.com or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And that is, it's just an audio podcast for now. But uh, I love being able to connect with different people. We talk with people with lived experience. We talk with um, family members. We talk with professionals and researchers. And it's just been a phenomenal uh, opportunity to really support the loved ones surrounding these OCD warriors because they have been through battle and they are, they are doing it. They're doing the thing. And you, you know, if you have an OCD suffer in your life, you know, you've been through the battle too, whether you (laughs) wanted to be or not, you might've been like (laughs) dragged into the battle, but you're like, I'm in the battle. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) this is a resource for the loved ones and support community, but certainly we have OCD sufferers, myself included, uh, involved there. And so, yeah, if you want to check it out, OCD family podcast, wherever you stream your podcasts. Awesome. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's coreresults, K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S dot com backslash contact.